Today's teaching is called Jesus Speaks Loudly in Hurts and in Hunger. One of the greatest excitements of a believer, in my opinion, is knowing that God actually speaks to me and guides me in my walk with him. To think that the creator of the universe, who has all knowledge, all wisdom, actually speaks to me and he speaks to you. That's an exciting thing. And we want to know how to tune into that. And, you know, granted, I don't always know when it's God's voice or if it's the jalapeno uh, lemonade that I drank at Cafe Rio on Friday night. They got this Cafe Rio down here in Eastville. I'm not giving you that. Well, it was really good, but they got this jalapeno lemonade there and I drank two cups of it. And so yesterday at the gym, Coach Amber was like driving us and I'm about to throw up on the floor, man. It was torture. Um, I even woke up this morning kind of nauseated and I still blame that jalapeno lemonade. It was just so good. I kept wanting to go back for more. You got to go try it. Um, So sometimes we don't know because our emotions get in the way. Is this God or is it me? But the closer we get to the Lord, the longer you walk with God, the more you surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, the clearer his voice comes and you begin to recognize this is the Lord speaking to me. And then there's those times you're kind of wondering and you just kind of wait on God till you get further direction and then you step out and sometimes you learn the hard way that it wasn't God speaking, but nonetheless, you step out and and you hope. Um, A few weeks ago, as I was preparing for this message, I was sitting down in the living room and I was doing some research on something. And you know how in the movies when somebody's unconscious and they want to represent them coming back into consciousness and what do they do? There's a voice in the background of somebody saying their name and it gets a little louder, a little louder, a little louder and all of a sudden the lights come on and the voice is clear and they're conscious again, right? You following what I'm saying? This is exactly what happened this day in the living room. I am concentrating on this study and all of a sudden my wife's voice in the back of my consciousness starts to fade in. And that's exactly the way it was. It's like it was way, way back there and it's getting louder and louder. And, and I, I did what any husband would do. I said, are you talking to me? And um, we're empty nesters now. And, and of course she's talking to me. I'm the only one in the house. And, um, but I, she was talking. This is the point. She was speaking the whole time. I, I don't know how long she was talking for. I, I really don't. She was talking the whole time, but I was not tuned in. I wasn't listening. And, and our key verse today is John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. Notice the key is it's God's sheep that know his voice. We have the ability, if we have Christ living on inside, living inside of us, to know his voice. And in fact, you could be a believer here today and not sure if you know his voice. You'll hear it because he's speaking to you, but maybe you haven't learned to recognize it yet. And so we'll talk a little bit about that today. There's a tagline or kind of a question that we've been asking every week, and it's this, Jesus is speaking, are we listening? Um, And I kind of got ahead of myself because that's really where I wanted to tell that funny story. But anyways, um, the first week that I taught here, excuse me, last month when I taught here, I, I was talking about how we're all made up of body, soul, and spirit. If you were here, I hope you remember that. And our soul is that part of us that, is our mind, our will, our intellect, it's our emotions, it's who I am as a person. And there is this battle going on between my flesh 
and the Spirit over possession of who I am as a person. The Spirit wants to come inside and shape and mold me so that my personality, the way I think, the way I act and talk, start to reflect Christ. And the flesh is always doing the opposite. Um, if we could learn to, it stands to reason rather that if I give in to the ways of the Spirit as I draw closer to Him, if the Holy Spirit is on the inside and He's influencing my mind, He can land His thoughts upon my mind and my mind becomes holier, oh, I did this first service, holier spirit. That's why I said first service. Holy Spirit user-friendly. <clears throat> One thing you can know for sure that when you hear me preach, I'm going to say something stupid. All right, <laughs> Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through uh, 32. If you could open up your Bibles there, if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be on the screen. And what this story is, it's a story about two disciples leaving Jerusalem and walking down to Emmaus. They're on this road. It's seven miles south of Jerusalem. They're discouraged. They're despondent. They thought Jesus was going to be the redeemer of Israel. And they had all of their hope into Jesus. And he dies. And three days later, he's in their mind, he's still in the grave. And they're just about giving up hope. And they decide we're going home. We're heading home. And this is what draws Jesus to them. So chapter 24 of Luke, starting in verse 13. It says, and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women who were among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and they didn't find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though they were, he was going to go on further. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in and stayed with them. And he reclined at the table with them. He took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So in this passage above, as I said, we have these two disciples they're discouraged and despondent, brokenhearted. 
no hope. We're going home. And they're walking on this road going south at springtime of the year. And a springtime in Israel is much like the springtime here. So you can imagine what the day is like. And they're walking south on this road. And they're just discussing about what the women said. Do you really think there were angels? And, you know, they're talking about these things. And Jesus, because, he's bro- because these men were broken, he's setting himself up to interact with them. Now, Jesus could have been a million other places. I'm sure he had a ton of things he could have been doing, but he's compelled to come and minister to these men that were broken at this time. And so Jesus stations himself south of Jerusalem waiting for these guys to come walking by. And as they walk by, Jesus kind of casually comes up and says, hey guys, what are you talking about? Now, Jesus knew all along what they were talking about. He knew what they were were discussing. And that tells me one thing. You might be brokenhearted here today. You might be hurting and hungry. There might be something going on in your life that's overwhelming to you. First of all, Jesus knows what you're going through. Second of all, he wants you to talk to him about it. He would invite you. He would say, what's going on in your life? Why are you so sad today? He knows why you're sad, but he wants you to talk to him. He wants that interaction and he wants it with these guys. And and they spill their heart out and they tell him, why they're so sorrowful. And then Jesus says, oh, you're so slow to believe in all that the scriptures have said. Don't you know that the entire Old Testament spoke about the Christ? And he starts in, it says Moses, which really refers to Genesis, all the way through the prophets, which he starts in Genesis and goes all the way through Malachi. And he begins to explain to them how the scriptures all foretold of him. And I imagine that they were talking. He no doubt told them that in Genesis, I was the word of God creating the heavens and the earth. And in Exodus, he's the Passover lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorpost of your heart so that you could escape from slavery. And in Leviticus, he's the temple, the holy place where we meet with God. And in Numbers, he's our ever-present guide, our pillar of cloud by day and our fire by night. In Joshua, he's our conquering warrior leading us into the promised land. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, he's our advocate, risking his life to restore us to royalty. In Job, he's known as our loving redeemer. We see him there as that. In Psalms, he was the one uh, who hears our cries. In Proverbs, he's wisdom personified. In Song of Solomon, he's our lover and our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, prince of peace, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. In Jeremiah, he's the spirit that writes God's laws in our hearts. In Ezekiel, he's a river of life, bringing healing to the nation. In Hosea, he's the ever-faithful husband pursuing his unfaithful wife. In Joel, he's the restorer of all that the locusts have eaten and taken away from us. In Amos, he's our burden barrier. In Habakkuk, he's the reason to rejoice when the fields are empty. In Haggai, he's the cleansing fountain. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. Whatever the message was, I know he went through the Old Testament and he explained how on every page it all pointed to him because that's what the Old Testament did. It pointed to Christ. In verse 32, the disciples said, didn't our hearts burn inside of us as he explained to us the scriptures, as he told us these things, wasn't our heart burning inside of us? 
Yet at the time, they didn't recognize that it was him. Even while he's going through it, they heard his voice. They comprehended it. The fire's burning on the inside, but they still didn't know that it was Jesus talking to them. And that's quite possible where you might be today. You're hearing God's voice. You might even be reacting to it, but you haven't yet registered or understood that it's his voice that you're, that you're hearing. It might be that, and in fact, it was when Jesus related to them that they recognized him. They just walked that seven-mile trip. They're sitting in the house. Jesus is hungry. They're hungry. He takes the bread and he breaks it. Hey, I'm hungry. Let's eat. And he breaks bread. And then he serves it to him. And when he serves it to him, what do they see? They see the nail prints in his hands. He's now relating to the hurt that they're feeling as well. Jesus can relate to our hurt and our pain. And it's at that moment that they recognize Jesus. Today, we want to look at two truths about understanding God's voice and hearing it clear. The first one is this. To hear God's voice loudly, we must remain broken. Pastor Jim, the first week he taught this, gave this illustration. I loved it. I was standing in the back when he said it, and I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. I love this. He said, I got this mic. Remember that? He talked about this mic he's wearing, and it's wired to this transmitter on, the, on his back, and it's going to a receiver in the back, and because the receiver and the transmitter are on the same frequency, it could pick it up. And if you ever stop to think that in this room, there are hundreds and thousands of frequencies passing through this room right now, that if you had a transmitter, if I pulled up an AM, FM radio or a shortwave radio and I dialed it in to any frequency, I could hear a message from the other side of the world because those sound waves are running, running through the air like this. Well, God is speaking at a certain frequency. The key is what frequency is he at that I could tune into it and really hear his voice. And I'll tell you the frequency that God speaks to us most often is when we're broken. If you want to tune into the frequency that God is on, we need to be broken. You see, a broken heart is an open heart, and an open heart is a receptive heart. There's two things about being broken that I want to share with you today. The first one is found in Psalms 34, verses 17 to 18, and this is that God is near to the broken. Psalms, Psalms 34, verse 17 says this, it says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears. Now, the word hear there, it means to hear intelligently. Not only does he hear, but he hears intelligently. Um, it, also, it also means intelligently with understanding. So he can hear intelligent, intelligently with understanding. You might just say, man, I'm in pain. Not only does he hear that, but he knows why you're in pain. He understands so the righteous cry on the Lord hears and delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves such as are crushed in spirit. The Lord is near. The word near, it means to be compelled to come close. When we're brokenhearted, when we have that humble spirit, God is compelled like a magnet. I am drawn to the brokenhearted because this is where I communicate. I can talk to you if you have a broken heart. I could talk to you if you have a humble spirit. And this is where the Lord communicates to us. One of my favorite uh, hobbies that I love is fishing. Not just fishing, but kayak fishing. Not just kayak fishing, but kayak fishing in the ocean is what I really enjoy doing. And so one particular day, I met a buddy of mine down at Dana Point. We got there about 5.15 in the morning. I stopped at McDonald's and got some coffee. 
Got to Dana Point about 5.30 or so, pulled my kayak out of the back end of my truck, couple sips of coffee, put my coffee down on my kayak, loaded up my kayak, drug it down to Baby Beach where I was going to launch, put it in the water, the inside of my kayak's wet. What's going on? I forgot my coffee was there and I spilt it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be bad. I didn't have coffee today. I might get sick. But I didn't want to leave because you want to get out and go fishing. So I told my buddy, I go, let's just go. I, hopefully I'll be okay, you know. Well, that day we were kind of taking an epic trip and we went straight out from Dana Point to Catalina. We went four to five miles out straight out of Dana Point. We know because we have GPS on our kayaks and I, we knew where we were at. And so we're four to five miles out and we were looking for kelp patties, couldn't find any. And so we stopped and I'm tying a lure on. We're going to change the way we're fishing. I'm tying this lure on when something hits my kayak. So now I took a video of this, but I do apologize. It's in vertical format. It's not the best video, but you'll get the gist of it. So here it is. You could tell how frightened I was there. It was a terrible moment. Um, <laughs> it was actually really exhilarating. It was really fun. It was a Mako shark. Um, about five minutes later, he chose to get on. I, I wasn't going for him, but he got on my line and he's half of him still in my freezer. The other half I've eaten. Uh, great, great meat, by the way. But that particular day to add, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of the scenario here now. So what you want to be careful with Makos is a lot of fishermen get in trouble because they'll pull them into their boat and think they're dead and they're not and they'll bite you. Right. And so I had him in the water and the whole time I just figured this is like a dinner bell for another shark to come. Right. But so I'm watching and sure enough, it wasn't long after here to maybe just pass the soundboard there. There's this fin in the water of another shark coming straight at my kayak. And just like Jaws, it just sinks under the water like this. And I scream like a girl. I'm glad that wasn't on vacation. <laughs> and I pick this fish, this, this Mako out of the water, and I'm holding him up like this, right? And I'm just waiting for it to come. And it doesn't. And it gave me time to untie. And I drug him across the bow of my kayak. And that's where he stayed. And about two hours later, the wind picked up, the swells were going, I'm getting seasick, I hadn't had my coffee, never been seasick before, so I wasn't sure if I was just a wuss or if it was not having the coffee. But every time you saw my kayak has foot pedals so that I could fish, every time I'm pushing those pedals, it's like a hammer hit me in the top of the head. And I told my buddy around noon, I said, man, I, we got to go back in. And so we turned around and we went back and we fought the wind all the way back into Dana Point. It took over two hours to get to Dana Point back in there. And about a mile out of Dana Point, Tad, the worst insult to injury. I'm here and my buddy's about the corner of our sanctuary and between us, this great white shark comes through. And um, I'm just hoping they can't smell what's sitting out of the water. And he left us alone. You know, a lot of people will say, David, I, I could never go out in the ocean. All my friends, I want friends to go out fishing with me, right? Um, no, see, <laughs> and they go, aren't you afraid? And I go, I've never, I've never felt afraid. And maybe it's a false hope, but when I got in my kayak, I got me a Marine radio. And if I ever got in trouble out there, if I capsized and couldn't get back in or something, I got this SOS button and I could push the SOS button and it'll send out a distress signal to the coast guard. And it gives the coordinates of where I'm at. And I just have to hold on till they're there. Or when they show up, they find half of me floating in the water and they can retrieve it, you know, one or the other. But uh, <laughs> I never felt threatened. I have seen hammerhead. I've seen great white. I suppose if a great, my kayak's 14 foot long. 
If a great white that big swam by my kayak, I think I would be afraid. But nonetheless, when we're hurting, it's like hitting the SOS button to Christ. He's just drawn to us. That's what he does. The other thing we need to know about being broken is that God resists the proud. James chapter 4, verse 6 says this. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word opposed, it means to draw up and battle against. He says, if, you're, if you have a proud heart, I'm going to draw up and battle against you. Um, it comes from a root word, which means to put in place or to station. Have you ever felt like God has put you on a shelf? It says, oh, just sit there for a while. And you're like, God, why am I on a shelf? Well, there could be a lot of reasons for being on a shelf. It, it doesn't necessarily mean you've done anything wrong. God might be working something in your life. But one of the reasons we could be put on a shelf is because our pride's just in the way. And God says, I need to break you a little bit so, I, so you're useful to me. And so he might put us on a shelf. But it says that he gives grace to the humble. God's unmerited, undeserved favor is to those who are humble or broken. In week one, pastor said that there are a lot of voices that compete with God's voice, but there's none greater than my own voice. I get in the way of hearing God's voice so many times. The second thing we want to talk about this morning is that in order to hear God's voice loudly, we must go to where the hurting and the hungry are. If God is attracted to hurting and hungry people, doesn't it stand to reason that the church, this church, ought to attract and open up its doors to people that are hurting and suffering? All of us are hurting and suffering in some way, and God's in the process of healing us. That's why during the time of our service where we ask you to meet and greet somebody, it really is a key moment in, in the service, not only for you to get to know somebody you don't know, but look around sometime. You'll see people sitting in a chair and not talking to anybody. What's their story? Why are they not talking to somebody? Are they in pain? Are they hurting? Are they struggling with something? Are they just afraid and maybe they're, they feel like they're not accepted here? What could it be? Go up and talk to them. Say hi to them. Just love on them. God wants to connect with that person that's struggling at that moment. And so our meet and greet time is very key for what we do here. Mahatma Gandhi, during his student days, read the Gospels and thought that he found the solution to the caste system where he lived. Now, the caste system divided society based on their uh, ethnicity. And he wanted to overcome that. And so reading the Gospels, he thought, this is the answer. He saw Jesus broke the barriers of, of societal divisions. And so he goes to a Christian church, and he's going to ask the minister there, how do I become a Christian? But when he walked in the door, it's reported that an usher told him, you're not welcome here. You need to go worship with your own kind. And Gandhi walked out of the church and never set foot into a Christian church again. And he said, if Christians have caste systems, I might as well remain a Hindu. And how true it is, just to parallel the point for just a moment, if me as a believer, if I compromise my life and I live my life to look like the world, why would the world ever want to come to Christ? We need to be different. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. If we conform ourselves and we do things that the world does because we want to try to somehow relate to the world and then draw them to Christ, it's backwards. 
The world wants to know that the God has something different for them. They're already caught up in the drinking and the drugs and all of that. And they want, they want out. They don't want to find a Christian and go, you're no different than me at the church. If you guys are doing that in the church, why do I need to be different? Why do I need to be a Christian? We need to give them an answer why they need to be a believer. That's because God sets us free from those things. Jesus in his ministry broke societal boundaries. Think about what Jesus did. The Samaritan woman at the well, she was a, a crossbreed of Jew and Gentile. Wasn't fully accepted by the Jews, not fully accepted by the Gentiles. It says she had five husbands. Now, we don't know if she was a widow or if she had divorced them. But the husband she was with now, she was living with. And Jesus purposely goes to the well because he knows this broken woman's going to be there. He's compelled. He's drawn to the SOS button had been pushed. Jesus came to minister to her in her time of brokenness. And because of it, she goes out and she's preaching about Jesus to the whole city. And then we have Zacchaeus, the tax collector. For service, I said Nicodemus. I'm so thankful someone told me. I even read it. I'm like, Nicodemus, the tax collector. That ain't right. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Hated by the Jews because he worked for Rome and he would go out and he'd collect taxes from the Jews. And if, the Jew, if, the, if Rome said they owe a shekel, he could collect two and keep one for himself. That was the law. And so he stole from people. And Jesus sees him one day in a tree and he says, come down from there, Zacchaeus. I'm going to go to your house and I'm eating dinner tonight. And in the Jewish mindset, for you to sit down and have a meal with somebody when you broke bread and you reached and dipped your bread into the same bowl as, as the people sitting around the table, you were becoming one with those individuals because you were sharing the same food and you were saying, I accept you, Nicodemus, just for the way you are. And it was that love that Jesus showed Nicodemus, Nicod there I went again, Zacchaeus. Thank you for laughing at me. I appreciate that because that helped me get back on track. It was that love that Jesus showed Zacchaeus that turned his life around because Jesus connected with him at that moment. Mary Magdalene, a woman who followed Jesus throughout his, his entire career, she had seven demons she was possessed by and Jesus delivered her from it. Think of the lepers that Jesus physically touched. Could have caught leprosy, but he loved them. Just went out and touched them. Society wouldn't get within so many feet of them and Jesus went out and reached them and touched them. Why? Because he loved them. Breaking society, society's boundaries and, and touching them. This is Christ's heart. This is the frequency where he speaks at. This is where miracles happen. You may be saying, man, I'm a believer. I've never seen a miracle. You want to see a miracle? Go find somebody that's hurting and allow God to use you to touch them. And you'll walk away going, God, that was a miracle. That was a miracle that that happened. My Aunt Snooky... Um, I worked for Calvary Chapel, San Gabriel Valley for a number of years in the 90s. And I was teaching a Bible study one night at church and my mom called me before the study had started. And she said, um, she said, David Aunt Snooky's in a coma. She's in the hospital. They don't think she's going to make it. And so I picked up the phone and I dialed the hospital and I asked for the nurse's station. And I asked the nurse, I said, would you do me a favor? Would you please go to my aunt's room and put the phone to her ear. I need to talk to her. And she says, sir, I don't know if you understand, but your wife or your aunt's in a coma. And I said, no, I understand. Would you please do it? And she says, yes, I will. And she was very sweet, very kind. She went and put the phone. She goes, okay, I'm putting it to her ear. And I said, Aunt Snooky, 
I don't know if you've ever made a commitment to follow Jesus or not, but you're in a bad spot right now. And I would hate to think that I didn't take the opportunity to tell you clearly how you can become a Christian and know for sure that if you died today, you're going to go to heaven. And I said, I'm going to pray with you, Aunt Snooky, and I know you can't repeat what I'm saying. It's not about you repeating what I'm saying. But if from your heart, if you accept this as truth and you want this, Aunt Snooky, just accept this prayer as I pray it for you. And I began to pray, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And when I got done, nurse came in and she goes, are you done? I said, yes. And she hung up the phone and very emotional. I was crying. And, and two days later, and I hadn't seen my Aunt Snooky for a couple years. So my cousin Lana was at her bedside when she woke up. And the first thing she said out of her mouth was, and it was very broken, like she had come out of maybe a stroke or something, but it was just coming out of the coma. The first words out of her mouth were, David, David, I need to talk to David. And my cousin Lana says, David, what David do I? She goes, David Geith and my aunt, David, I need to talk to David. So my cousin Lana called my mom and said, my mom woke up out of her coma and she said she needs to talk to David. I can only think your son, you know, for some reason, and my mom told her what had happened. So that night I called my aunt Snooky and I talked to her and she was very broken. And I said, aunt Snooky, do you remember me talking to you? And she said, yes. And and I led her through the prayer again and all of that. And over the next week or two, as she was recovering, I went and saw her in the hospital and she was very much in her right mind. And I walked in, I said, Aunt Snooky, do you remember talking to me over the phone? And she says, yes. Do you remember what she did? And she says, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And she died two weeks later. She went to be with the Lord, but she was hurting she was at the frequency that God was ready to speak to her. Her heart was receptive. She was tuned into that frequency that God was speaking. And, I, and as I had that opportunity to, in, to invade into that world, a miracle happened. And I'll tell you, I think I could say this with absolute assurance, that anytime I've been invited to go to a hospital room where somebody is near death on their deathbed, 100% of the time, I, can't, I honestly can't think of a time it didn't happen, they've asked Jesus to come into their life. If you just have the boldness to step out and ask them, give them that gospel message, you'd be surprised how tuned in they are at that time. For the sake of time, we're not going to get into this last verse here, but I'll just say that God is very much uh, tuned in to the hurting and that verse, you could look at it yourself. It's that passage where Jesus says, hey, if you give a cup of cold water to the least of these, you've done it unto me. God feels the pain. When I'm in pain, God feels it personally. If I was in pain and suffering and hurting and you come to me and minister to me, last week or last month, rather, I was struggling and Steve uh, Mason picked up on it. He goes, David, can I pray for you? I go, yes, I need your prayer. And he ministered to me in that moment. And I'll tell you what Jesus would say. He goes, Steve, you think you ministered to David, but you ministered to me because I was feeling David's pain at that moment. And it's a beautiful thing. If you want God to use you, if you want to see miracles happen in your life, look for those around you that are hurting and in pain. Step out in faith and see what God doesn't do. He'll use you in miraculous ways. I promise it'll be amazing. Would you pray with me?